Well, good morning. This is weird. All of a sudden, it got really quiet, and I was like, is this my time? I'm not sure. I grabbed the sheet. I'm like teaching David. Okay, this is me. Um, I don't think anybody's more disappointed that I'm up here right now than me, uh, to be honest, because in the middle of worship, I didn't want to stop. In setting this up this week, uh, in setting up the chairs and coming up with sections and figuring out the logistics for lighting and staging and all of that, um, the purpose behind this, and I know Brian shared this too, the purpose behind this was that so when you're here and when you're looking at stage, you're not all just focused one direction, but that you actually look across the aisles and you look across the stage and you see other people. Uh, and this was our goal, this was our intention, but I, I didn't anticipate what it would feel like. Uh, and I, I'll just speak for me here. Uh, but sitting there and looking across and seeing other people worshiping and other people you know, just at the foot of the cross, just going, okay, God, you're, you're it. I'm not a slave to fear. You're, you're my God. You're my Savior. You're, you're the one we're here to worship. I just want to bring us back into that point. And this is why we're here. This is why we're set up in a circle today so that we would look and that we wouldn't just see a stage or we wouldn't see a screen or we wouldn't see a speaker, but that we would look and we would see the church the same way that God sees the church. So would you pray with me just as we start here? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to just worship with our friends, with our neighbors, with our families, with our spouses, with people we know and people we don't. God, we're grateful to be here in a church that cares so deeply about you and worshiping you and honoring you in all that we do. And Father, we just pray that we would give our hearts to you that we would open our hearts to you to hear what you have to say to us today, that you would teach us something new out of your scripture, that we would hear from you, and that it would change our lives. Father, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, I want to start today. I want to tell you a story. Um, I love stories. I have a lot of them. Uh, But when I was in college, I went to Grand Valley State University, and uh, so I'm a Laker for a lifetime. I loved it. I had a blast there. Uh, my first year, I've shared this with you a little bit before, was kind of like a roller coaster. Some stuff went well, some stuff didn't. I came in thinking I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and then that blew up about five times between August and December. And I kept changing my major, struggling, what am I going to do? Studying was not really like a passion of mine, or is it ever? Um, and so I, I was kind of the guy who went into class, I had my laptop, and I would sit down and I, I would listen to the prof teach, but I'd really be doing pretty much anything else. Uh, and I figured out that that doesn't work uh, when I got my first test back in Biology 120. And it, it had an F at the top. And I kind of like started looking around and going, I think I got somebody else's test. I, this can't be, is that my name? Did I, I, did I write my name on somebody else's test? And I started looking through it and I went, I don't know any of this stuff. And I hate this. And so up and down, up and down. Well, sophomore year, my, the second year that I went in, uh, I was an RA. And if you know what RA stands for, it's resident assistant. Uh, and so I ended up in what I affectionately refer to as freshman land. And so I moved to the other side of campus. I was on the north part of campus. I was responsible for 60 freshmen, uh, boys, girls, about 30 of each. Uh, so they're all up. And lucky us, we were on the third floor of an unair conditioned building. So it was only miserable about 90% of the time. And then winter kicked in and it was too hot, right, because all the heat rose. And so when these, these freshmen came in, uh, I actually really took a liking to them. I mean, I, I loved hanging out with them. I thought they were cool. We were pretty similar in age. And so whatever I did, uh, I would invite them with. I'd be like, yo, I'm going to dinner. Anybody want to come? And like 15 people would go, sure, yeah, we have to eat too. Let's go eat together. So we'd go eat. We'd be at 
one of the campus dining locations. Or then the group started growing, and I'd go, hey, I'm, I'm going to go play soccer. Anybody want to come? And so more would come, you know, 20 people would come. And no matter what we ended up doing, we, we had this kind of organic group that it didn't matter what we were doing. We loved hanging out, and there was always, like, give or take a couple people. But it, whatever I did, it was not hard for me, especially as an RA, to get a group of people to show up at a specific spot to do something together. Except that part of my role as a resident assistant was I had to do something called programs. Okay, so anybody in college, if you went through college, if you lived in the dorms, chances are you had an RA that would host a sort of program or event that he would try to get you to come to. So this was me. My boss sat down. We were having a conversation. He said, okay, David, here's the thing. Um, you do a lot of great events. You do a lot of lunches, you do a lot of dinners, you do a lot of football games. But we're going to branch out here and try to incorporate some more academic-focused programs. To which I replied, are you sure I'm the guy for that? And he said, yes, you're the guy for that. You need to teach these freshmen how to study. To which I chuckled and said, okay, fine. So I started hosting programs because it was my job, and I had to host three educational programs a month. And here's what I learned really quickly. It was a piece of cake for me to get people together that I cared about, that I was relational with, that I would go eat with or do, do fun things with. But the second I added a program to it, the second I added a function, a specific, like, I want you to show up at a specific time and I have something to give you, I couldn't get anybody. And so program after program after program, this I found out, this was my, my best way of recruiting. I would go and I would walk the halls about five minutes before my said program was supposed to take place, and I would look, and I would find someone that was bored, and that wasn't doing anything, and I would say, hey, do you guys want ice cream? Most of them said yes, and I said, great, here's the thing, I want you to meet me down in the lobby in about five minutes, and I'll have ice cream for you, and so they showed up, and I would trick them, and they would show up and sit through a horrible presentation in a boring program, and then at the end, they'd go, what was that? Like, we couldn't leave, and I was like, exactly, but now we're going to go get ice cream. And I did that over and over and over, and I used all of these debit dollars that the university gave me to spend. I used them on bribing people to come to my programs. So here's the link here. This is where I want to bridge the gap. Do you ever notice that sometimes it feels that way with church? You ever wondered or asked the question, why do we do this? Why do we come together? Why do we get together under one building, under one roof, meet at a specific time every single week? And, and so often, at least like me, I would approach church with this mentality of, okay, I kind of feel like I have to go. And I don't know if it was a guilt thing that I felt growing up. I don't know if it was like, a, okay, I'm looking for something. I, I want to feel fed, right? That's, that's what a lot of Christians say. I want to go to church so that I can be fed. And so I would show up to church and expecting to receive something, expecting to participate, expecting to hear and something that changes my life or blows it up and goes, yes, okay, that, that was worth going today. And I'm evaluating through the lens of a program going, Am, is this going to be worth my time? So why, why, do we, why do we do church? And we're right now in the middle of a series here at Frontline, and the series is called Concrete. And we're addressing different specific questions like this, asking the questions of, why do we do the things that we do in faith? Why do we do them in Christianity? Why do we do them in our relationship with God? And so week one, we started with the Bible. What is the Bible? How was it compiled? Why was it used? Why, why is it used today? How is it used today? How, how did the Bible come to be in its current condition today? Week two was last week. We talked about Jesus. How does Jesus fit into the story of God? And then this week, we're talking about what about church? 
Why do we do church? How do we as people fit into the overall story of God? And the reason we chose concrete, that's why you see the cinder blocks here, all the stuff on stage. The reason we chose concrete is because all of you know this, that no matter what you're building, whether it's a garage or a pole barn or a bridge or a skyscraper or a house, whatever you're building, whatever you build is only as strong as the foundation it's built on. Because if it's cracked or if it's damaged or if it's weak, it's not a question of if, it's a matter of when will whatever it's holding kind of crumple down and fall. So we're focusing on the foundations of faith and the foundations of Christianity. And today, I want to start us off in Matthew 16. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull your Bible out. Uh, Matthew 16, it's towards the middle of the book. We're in Matthew 16, starting in verse 15. And let me set this up for you. Jesus and his disciples uh, are in the Middle East, and they're traveling around. They're going kind of city to city. And at this point, Jesus is kind of well-known around the communities. People know who he is. People have heard his name before. Uh, but who exactly he was was yet to be determined. And so Jesus looked at his disciples as they're walking up this mountaintop. They're walking up, and Jesus kind of, you know, he's like looking at the ground, looking at his disciples, and he kind of turns to them, and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? What, what do they say about me? Who, who do they say that I am? And so they start replying, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. You know, and that was funny for some of the disciples because they had seen John the Baptist and Jesus standing next to each other. So they said, eh, some people think you're John the Baptist, but that's just because they never saw you together. Uh, other people think you're like Isaiah or one of the prophets. And, and so uh, there's, there's a little toss-up. People don't really know who you are. And then Jesus, you know, it's like you can picture him. He, he like kicks a rock and looks at his disciples and he says, what about you? What about you guys? You've spent a lot of time with me. You've heard things that I've taught. You've been around when I've done different miracles. You've been me in travels. And you've seen some pretty amazing, incredible stuff. And here we are, Matthew 16, verse 15. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then this is like the paramount of this verse, of, the, of what he says. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And in that language, Peter meant rock. I tell you that you're rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not be able to, say it with me, overcome it. Jesus says at this point, he looks in the middle, he looks at the foundation, and he says, on this rock, on the belief and understanding that you know that I am Jesus, that I am the Son of God, on this rock, on this foundation, as we talk about concrete, on this foundation, I am the Son of God, and everything will take place now based on that. And he says, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to build my people, and I'm going to build it on this foundation that I am Jesus, I am the Son of God, and you will meet together for years and years. And he makes a prophecy at this point going, I will build my church, and every time we come here together as a church, we are a fulfillment of this prophecy of what Jesus says. But this word church is really interesting. And I'm going to give you a, a little history lesson here quick to talk to you about how words have changed and how this word church, so often it's easy for us to read it and go, oh, church. We're in church right now, right? We're in church. We're, we're here at the building. We're at Frontline. 
churches where, you know, the lights happen and the speaker comes and the worship band and tech and, and all that stuff. Churches where all of that happened. But church, when Jesus says, here I am, I'm going to build my church, the word that he uses is a word called ecclesia. And the reason this is important is ecclesia doesn't talk about a building. Ecclesia actually talks about a people, a group of people, a community of people, an assembly. We put it on the screen for you here. Ecclesia is referred to a specific gathering, even for civic purposes. It doesn't have to be Christianity. It's just a group that gets together under one name, under one umbrella, under one belief. And so Jesus says, on this rock, on this understanding that I am Jesus, I am the Son of God, on this rock, I will build a gathering of people. And for the next 300 years, the church would gather in small communities. They'd gather in houses. They'd gather together. They'd eat meals together. They called them love feasts. This is our version of potluck. They would all bring food. They would gather together. They would eat. They would sing psalms. Uh, they would read scripture, and then they would pray together. This is what church looked like. And for 300 years, the reason this is important is because the church was outlawed. The church was much more of a, a movement, this ecclesia that Jesus had established. People all over the place would meet together, but they were persecuted by the Roman government and by other governments because people in the church, in the ecclesia, said, the emperor is not our king. Jesus is our king. Emperors don't like that. So emperors started localizing persecution. They started targeting at these little ecclesia meetings that were all over the place. And because of the persecution, I believe, they grew even faster. Because persecution, now it was hiding. Now there was something on the line. This was a big deal. You're putting your life and your family and your property and your retirement, you're putting everything on the line to risk, to meet, to learn more about the Savior, to study what Jesus had said, and then it leads to transformation. And life change. But what happened is 300 years later, a man named Constantine comes to power. Have you ever heard of Constantine before? A man named Constantine comes to power. And the reason Constantine is so famous and so influential, especially in Christianity, is when Constantine came to power, Constantine actually shortly after became a Christian. And so what was once this, this rebel movement and this rebel ecclesia, this gathering of people that, that met even though it was against the law, now the leader of the law, the one who sets in stone what the law is, and who was once the persecutor of these ecclesias, becomes a Christian himself. And when, uh, when Constantine became a Christian, he, he starts meeting in these ecclesias, and he brings with him, just like any powerful leader, brings with him wealth, brings with him power, influence, and then his friends, right, his buddies bring with them also their experience with religion. It takes not but 10 years, 300 years, the church met in these small little house churches. 300 years they meet, and then in 10 years after Constantine comes to power, that totally switches. And what was a, a group and a gathering of people, which was very organic, very, very intimate, very relational, then turned to something called a basilica. Because with this power, with this wealth, they started building buildings. And so the Roman people would look and go, well, that's not a gathering of people, this, this building that's sitting there. That's actually a, a, it's a basilica. A basilica is a public building or official meeting space. Well, basilica ends up going, well, we need to change the word a little bit because it denotes a specific building. So that then moved to Karika or Kirche, which is in German. Kirche sounds like a word that you and I use all the time. Any idea what that word is? 
church. Kirche meant house of the Lord, but now Kirche transformed into the word church. And so this is why we read in the Bible where it says church. On this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. He didn't say, though, I'm going to build my Kirche. He didn't say, I'm going to build a building. I'm going to build a house. No, no, no. What Jesus says is, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my people. I'm going to build a group of followers that, that meet and live under me, under my name, under what I teach. And this is what's different about it, and I want to go back to the verse if we can. So Matthew 16 here, verse 18, it says this. And I tell you that you are Peter, Jesus talking to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How many of you, just by show of hands, have heard this verse before? You've heard it before, maybe in church, maybe online, maybe, maybe in your Bible, whatever it is. You've heard this verse before, but for me, before I've studied this, it's been so easy for me to focus so much on the church and the ecclesia and go, Peter, what does that mean? How is he building it? Is he building it on Peter? Is he building it on the foundation? What, what does that mean? And I missed this last part, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What Jesus says here is, I'm going to build my church, and what he says later is, and my church is going to be my mission force. It's going to be the driving force to bring the gospel into the world. It's going to bring hope. It's going to bring peace. It's going to bring restoration and forgiveness and mercy. It's going to bring life to the rest of the world, and particularly to the darkest, most broken, most disgusting parts of not even just the world, but of the hearts of people. And so the church, when it gathers, it, it never just gathered for the purpose of meeting. The church would gather for the purpose of taking this message of Jesus to the rest of the world. And then he says this really weird thing, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How many of you have ever seen a gate overcome anything? Think about the imagery in your head for a second. When is a gate used on the offensive? anything? It's really interesting. Soldiers used to hold two sides of a gate and they would run and just try to trap as many people as they could. That's a lie. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Nobody uses a gate on the offensive. What a gate is used for is one of two things. It's either to keep people in or to keep people out. It's to keep something in. Or it's to keep something out. And so when Jesus says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it, here's what he's saying. And this is why it was so important. And the disciples understood it, but maybe not even to the fullest yet at this point. Jesus says, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, evil in the world will not be able to stop my church, my ecclesia. This group of people that I am gathering on the foundation that I am Jesus, I am the Son of God, and they have a mission and a purpose, and their mission is to go reach and, and minister to and get dirty with the rest of the people all over the world that don't yet have that hope of Jesus. This is the mission that they've been given. This is the mission that they bought into when they bought into me, and I'm going to guarantee a victory. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus looked at his church and he looked at his people and he said, I, I, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to send you. Matthew 28, Jesus looks at his disciples right before he ascends into heaven and he says, I have all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Go make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. And you can imagine, I bet this was in the back of their minds going, that's right. Gates of hell can't stop us. Jesus sent his team, his people, on a mission. So what are the gates that we experience in our lives? Things I started writing down here. Evil, slavery, sin, addiction, divorce, drugs, darkness. The list goes on and on and on. I've had the opportunity to travel and be different parts of the world, and, and sometimes you just see the injustice. You see poverty. You see people trapped in sex slavery. You see people struggling with addiction. You see people struggling with purpose in life and anger and violence and you name it. And what Jesus says is, hey, this is exactly where I'm calling my church. You see, a kirche is designed where people come together and they meet. They come to one place, they gather, and then they disperse. But an ecclesia is a movement. Ecclesia is a group of people who gather under one purpose with the intention of going out, going into the dark places all over the world. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't skip the meeting though. Think about our world. Think about today with technology, with social media. You can go on the internet right now even. You can go on the internet right now and find any sermon that you want to listen to by any, any speaker. Probably a lot better than the one you're listening to right now. You can find any worship service. You can live stream church. You can listen to the, I think there's over 45,000 different Christian songs with the name Jesus in it. You can get all the worship you want. You can get all the teaching you want. You can get all the scripture you want. You can get whatever you want at home in the comfort of your own PJs sitting at a computer. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't miss this. And so I told you at the beginning, and this is why we set up church today the way we did, church being ecclesia. Now I'm going to be self-conscious about it. This is why we set up the seating today, though. So that as you're sitting in this section, you look across and you see me, but if you look past me, you see the section behind you. And same as we go all around the room. See, the meeting is so important because it's supposed to be this organism that's constantly changing, constantly adapting. But Jesus said at the very beginning, I will build my church. And so people of all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different socioeconomic statuses, different jobs, different histories, different futures, whatever it is, people will all gather under one name, under one purpose, and they will be together, and they will see the church, they will see the ecclesia the same way God does. This is why we gather here today. So when I grew up, um, I've told you this before, my dad was a pastor, and so I remember going to church, and uh, I struggled with it, just being honest with you. Uh, I struggled being at the church, I struggled getting involved. To me, church, the way that I had always viewed it was church was a program. Church was this thing that I showed up, I was required to do, I was required to be there, I was looked at as the pastor's kid, which made it extra fun to misbehave, right, because I didn't just dirty my name, I dirtied the de- you know, my dad's name and so people would look at me, and they, they would give me an expectation, and I hated the expectation. 
and I hated the box that I had to check and that I felt like I had to be in the service to get something. And so when I approached church or when I approached the service, I would sit down typically in the back and I would evaluate someone doing exactly what I'm doing right now. And as I'm going through, I wouldn't take notes. I'd just be listening, going, "Mm, don't like that. Oh, that joke was a flop. That didn't work at all. I'm looking for something. This is where I'm feeling right now. And if I don't feel this need being met, this was a waste of my time. Worship, oh, that guy was off key. Oh, the drummer, apparently we needed a substitute today. You know, it's, I just, everything that I did, I was going through this filter going, why, why am I here? If I don't get something out of this, I wasted my time. And yet what I didn't realize was I was approaching church with a very consumeristic mentality. I was showing up to go, okay, what, what's in it for me? And I was the sole focus of my experience at church. And I missed the ecclesia. I missed it. So I, I went to college. I told you this. I went to Grand Valley. I walked in. I had three Christian roommates, uh, totally blind. I didn't know any of them. And I walked in. It turns out there were three Christians. And my first thought was something else. Darn it. College is going to suck. I can feel it. These guys are boring. They don't do anything. But then I didn't anticipate what ended up happening is I started developing a relationship with these guys. And I actually saw that they had a really different relationship with Christianity, a very different relationship with God, a very different relationship with church that I didn't have. Right, because I'd been struggling. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get the purpose. I didn't understand how I fit. And yet here I was, and I'm meeting three other guys who are my age going, I love my church. I'm super involved. I get a ton out of it. But, but church isn't just for me about some, like getting. It's also about me getting. So we started going to different campus ministries on campus together. And this is what was cool. And I'll, I'll tell this story quick. What was cool is when I would show up, um, we would be in a space that wasn't designed for us. We'd be in a lecture hall. We'd be in a classroom. We'd be in a separate meeting room on campus. Like there was nothing that was designed like, oh, we want a church here. The ones that I always went to were in different places, and they would move, and they would change. And so I would show up, and here's exactly the same thing. I'd show up, the worship band, it's all college-led. It's not that good. They just weren't good. And then the speaker would come up, and he would he'd do like an intro joke. And I, my head just goes back, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be painful. And it was. It was horribly painful, and yet, yet they would share stories, and they would talk about, this is how God changed my life, and then this is what they did, and this, this is what changed church for me. Despite the horrible lighting and sound and music and speaking, there would be someone who would eventually go up, they would grab a microphone, they would stand in front of the entire group of people, and they would say, my name is blank, you know, fill it in, and I want to tell you my story. And they would begin to elaborate their story of darkness, of struggle, of sin. I mean, people, I, I, stories specifically, I could still see their faces describing, I was, on, I was on track to get a basketball scholarship. NBA was a significant possibility in my future. And then I went and I went out and partied and I got drunk and I got arrested and it ruined my life and I lost my scholarship. And life came down and I was on the borderline of like suicide. Everything that I had invested in, everything I put my stock in just crumbled. I'd hear somebody else going, um, I came up, my name is so-and-so, and I had this relationship, and I thought this was it. I thought he was the guy, and so I gave myself to him. I gave everything to him, and he ditched me, and he left me hanging. 
And so here I am, and I feel used, and I feel dirty, and I feel gross, and, and I just felt like I didn't fit, and I, did, I wasn't welcome in my church community anymore. I wasn't welcome in the building. And so I just left, and I struggled with this pain and this darkness in my life going, I blew it, and my one shot is over. Or I'd have somebody else that came out and go, dude, I'm just a, a partier. I just get out of control, and the reason I party and the reason I drink and the reason I smoke is because I'm trying to hide the abuse that I felt from my parents all throughout my childhood. I was violated, I was abused, I was assaulted, and I had nobody, and I felt alone. And so when I drink or when I smoke or when I party, when I do anything, it's just to drown it out and get away from it. And then all of the stories, every single one, would, would say these two words, but then... And they would start describing the story, but then I came to like one of these gatherings because my roommate invited me because my brother texted me and said, dude, just go to a church. It doesn't matter where. Just go find a community of people. And so they would walk in and they were accepted and they were loved. And what they heard was the gospel. What they heard about was this church that Jesus had established thousands of years ago, and he said, on this rock I will build my ecclesia, that I am the Son of God, that I died for you, and that I took on your sin and I took on your shame, and that is mine to own, not yours. And so in me, that I'm wrestling, right? I'm going, I can relate to different parts of these stories. This is me, but I don't know if I have the but then yet. And for me, it wasn't until I saw everything stripped it wasn't until the worship was so bad it wasn't even worth critiquing. It wasn't until the, the, the sermon just didn't even make sense. It was so above me and above my level. My level. It, it wasn't until I had people in the church, people in the community that looked at me and they looked me in the eyes and they said, David, what's your story? And people then invested in me and they, they lived into, other people lived into their mission of being the ecclesia, the church, and pursued me and that is what changed my perception of church in general. Church isn't about this. As much work as we put into the chairs this week and the aisles and ushers and lighting and sound and, and everything, as much as we do that, church isn't about the logistics. It's not about the details. Church is about this picture that God painted through Jesus years and years ago. And he says, on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering of people. So I want to show you a picture, and uh, if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you'll know this picture. So, anyway, any idea what this is? Let's zoom out a little bit. Is this helping? Anybody? Any ideas? I see some people wondering. Let's go to the last picture here. This is a, a painting, technically. Uh, it's called A Sunday on Le Grand. Uh, painted by an artist in the 1800s. And uh, the reason I picked this painting to show you is, if you look at this painting, it's actually, I think it's six by 10. So six feet tall uh, by 10 feet wide. It's this huge painting. It's in the Chicago Art Institute. And if you ever want to torture your kids, take them to the Chicago Art Institute. Uh, because it's like so boring, your body can't even hold up your own body weight. You just crumple down and you're, before you know it, you're in the fetal position on the floor. So that was me. That was the first time I saw this. My mom's like, okay, get off the floor now. Get up. Look at this picture. It's made up of dots. And I went, cool, super boring. And I went back to the floor. But as you look at this photo, this is what's neat about this. 
If you look at this photo, it's actually comprised of over 6.4 million tiny microscopic dots. 6.4 million. Go back to the first slide here. 6.4 million dots that look just like these. And when you're so zoomed in and when you're so focused on these little tiny details, can you have any idea what the picture is altogether? Do you have any idea the beauty of the picture that comes out or, or the architecture or the time or the investment that goes into painting not just a picture but painting a 3D picture and one that shows such, such detail and such, such a tent? I mean, just it, it paints the picture of a Sunday on the ground. I think it's in France. I'm not sure. But it just paints this beautiful picture, and yet when you zoom out, you can see it. But when you zoom in, you can't. This is why I'm using this as an example. So often, and this is my experience, or this is my fault maybe, I've approached church, and I've approached this type of meeting space of coming together, and this is what I look for. I look for the dots. I don't really like the shade of that one. I don't really like the texture here. I don't really like the speaker. I don't really like that worship song. I don't like how they set up the chairs today. I don't really like the lighting. I'm looking for something that fits me, that feeds my needs. And when we do this, or when I do this, we miss the big picture. We forget that long ago, Jesus never said, I'm going to build my kerche. I'm going to build this building where people flock to and come and they experience me. Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to build my ecclesia. This building is nothing but a means to an end. It's a place where this body, this organic group of people can come together and live and breathe as an organism, but never as an organization. So as I just think about this today and as I've been praying about this, this I want to make an invitation to you. My invitation to you would be to zoom out. And I want to ask that you would look across the aisles. We're going to go into some more worship songs, um, which I'm ecstatic about. But in worship, uh, this is my challenge to you. Look across the aisle. Look across the room. Look and see the people exactly the way Jesus does. Look in their eyes. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. When else do you do this in the rest of our culture? So often we show up and we have our, our focus on one thing. Here it's a stage. At home, maybe it's a screen. Maybe at work, it's a whiteboard. I don't know what it is for you. So often we're so focused on something that's not each other. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, and I want you to see each other the same way that I see you. And don't forget that it's not just about the meeting. It's about the mission. We come together and we see each other so that we can be the church, the ecclesia to each other, the gospel in the hands and feet of Jesus to each other, and then we take that out to the rest of the world. So my challenge for you today in worship is that. Just give yourself to worship. See the people around you. Just close your eyes and listen for a second and just hear the voices of people. The sound is totally different today. It echoes. It, it's just different. To me... It's like a glimpse of heaven. You ever wonder what that's going to be like? What's the setup going to be like? Probably something like this. If it's a small group, 
my challenge to you would be this. Don't just sign up for a small group. Be vulnerable in your small group. Show a part of your heart. Say, this is something I struggle with. This is a fear that I have. This is a hurt that I carry with me. If it's youth, share your life with them. If you volunteer with the, the youth group here, if you, if you work with Brad and student ministries, give your life to these kids who are so hurting and so broken and who are longing for any sort of life that the church can only offer. If it's missions, get your hands dirty. But don't just get them dirty to build a building. Get your hands dirty and, and invest in relationship with other people. Step into the mess and walk with people just the same way that Jesus did that for us. Would you just pray with me? God, I'm just, I'm just excited to be a part of your ecclesia. That thousands of years later, here we are, we still meet, we still come together, we still meet under one name and one foundation, and that's you. Father, you've done a work in, in a lot of our hearts and a lot of our lives, and I pray for, for those who have yet to experience you, for those who don't yet have the but then in their story. I pray that you would use this experience, that you would stir in their hearts and that they would see other people and that even more so, God, that other people, other people of the church would look across the aisle, they'd look across the room and that they would see them for who they are. Father, I pray that we would be vulnerable with each other today, that we would sing loudly, that we would worship you because you're so worthy of it. God, thank you for this thing you call church for allowing us to be a part of your mission to reach and save the lost. And I just pray that you would remind us constantly that the victory is already won. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.